0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Thank you, Blair. Uh, well, good morning, Redemption. Uh, isn't it a blessing that we get to gather together in person again for worship? I hope the last few months as we've been working through the coronavirus uh, issues that it has been a a great reminder for you as it has been for me of the blessing that it is to gather together on Sunday mornings. So as Pastor Blair said, uh, over the last few weeks in our Rock Solid series, we've been looking at some of the promises of God and what they mean for us. And today I get the privilege of wrapping up our series with another great promise from Scripture. I hope that this series encourages you to look further into the promises of God and His Word. Uh, The more that we understand about God's character in light of His promises, the more that we will grow to love Him. Uh, We're going to be, as Pastor Blair said, in Matthew 28 this morning, We're going to read verses 16 through 20 and then spend the majority of our time in verses 18 through 20. Uh, So as you turn there, I'm going to go ahead and put us in context really quickly where we're picking up here. Our passage this morning actually picks up right where we left off a few months ago in Mark. At the end of Mark, we see that Jesus has risen from the grave And there is a group of women who go to the tomb early in the morning to anoint his body. As they come up on the tomb, they see that the stone has been rolled away and that the tomb is empty. And as they come closer, there's an angel there waiting for them. And he tells the women that they should go and tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. That's where we pick up here this morning in Matthew 28, uh, verse 16. So if you would... Follow along as I read 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word for God's people. Would you pray with me now? God, this morning as we spend time looking at your word, um, God, would you uh, help us to draw truths from it? God, would your holy inspired word uh, do a work in our hearts uh, by the power of the Spirit, God, that transforms us into the image of your Son, into the image of Christ? God, we we love you. We want you to be magnified this morning. Would you uh, use me to... uh, authentically share the word of God, God, that we would be formed into Christ's image, that he would be exalted, and that we would be made low. God, we love you this morning. Uh, would you do that now? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so as we read this passage here, uh, these events in Matthew, give us some additional information on Jesus' ministry that we didn't see in Mark. In just these few verses, Jesus lays out his mission for his people. The point of the passage we're focusing on this morning is that Christ promises his presence in the mission. I'll say it again. Christ promises his presence in the mission. And this is among the most crucial promises in all of Scripture for the believer. And this morning, I'm going to show you why that is. And Now you have a great responsibility this morning, the same responsibility you have every Sunday. Uh, your job this morning is to follow along with what I say and make sure that what I'm saying aligns with God's word. So as I make my case, we're going to look at the mission, uh, the promise, and the claim that gives weight to the promise. I uh, will discover what the mission is exactly, what Christ has promised in connection to the mission, and why the promise even matters. So let's begin looking closer at the passage together first at the mission. In verse 19 through the beginning of 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In the first part of verse 19, we see the calling of Christ or his mission. Uh, The mission and our first point is to carry out discipleship, carry out discipleship. Uh, The disciples here are given the task of carrying out the making of disciples. And so what is a disciple? A disciple is simply a student, somebody who puts themselves under the teaching of another and is molded into their likeness. Uh, Christ is calling his students, the disciples, to make more students. This is a compounding command. Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, so on and so forth. Uh, The call to make disciples here begins with a command from Christ to go. Uh, No destination is set. No route is planned. There is no elaboration. Just go. This is a call to be active. Disciple makers can't be isolated. The first command in the mission is to go. In order to make disciples, you must interact with other human beings. You can't make disciples without someone to disciple. And so disciple makers must be active and ambitious. So go and then what? Make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. In Mark 13, when Jesus is telling the disciples about the end times and some of the things that will happen before his return, he says in verse 10 that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Uh, When we appear before God in glory, when our time here is done, we will gather with people from all cultures, languages, and ethnicities before the throne. Uh, We find this in John's vision in Revelation. Uh, The mission of discipleship isn't for a certain group of people. Uh, It's for all people without distinction. There are no exceptions to be made when considering who is in need of the gospel. Uh, Now that Jesus has given the mission to make disciples of all nations, he goes on to tell the disciples how it is to be done. Uh, Jesus gives the mission the same way that an architect would go about designing and building a custom home. Uh, first, he would meet with the clients and help them decide what the home is going to look like, uh, how many bedrooms it would have, how many bathrooms it would have, uh, one car garage, two car garage, maybe three, uh, fireplace, no fireplace, all of those details. And then he would take all the information he gathered from the meeting, and he would sit down, and he would start to draw up the blueprints. And these blueprints would give more detailed instruction for the home builder on how the home ought to be built. Uh, where each room should be, how many square foot it should be, where light switches and outlets and doors and windows are going to be. The mission is to build a home. and The blueprints show how it should be built. And So Jesus has just given the disciples the mission to make disciples. Then we will see that he lays out the blueprint. So look at the end of verse 19 in the beginning of 20, where he says, "...baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So these verses provide two means in which disciples are made. Disciples are baptized and taught. We'll start with baptism. Baptism is for believers. It is a public display of their unity with Christ. This is modeled throughout the book of Acts. As the apostles go throughout the nations in Acts, preaching the gospel and doing the very work of making disciples that we see here, as they share the gospel and people respond in faith, they are immediately baptized. I've heard it put that baptism is a means of keeping believers from sneaking into the kingdom of God. In other words, believers aren't meant to fly under the radar. Uh, The evidence of their unity with Christ should be on display. Uh, This is why we value baptism so much here, because we recognize what it costs for Christ to save us, and we want others to know that we belong to him. So this is why Christ has commanded that it be a key part of the discipleship of his church. The second component of discipleship that Christ laid out is that disciples are taught. Uh, There are three main areas that we see here that are a necessity for disciples to be taught in. Uh, The first area disciple-makers must teach in is the gospel. We said that baptism is a public display of a believer's unity with Christ. In order to be united with Christ, you must believe the gospel. In Romans, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he writes this in chapter 10, verse 13 through 15 he says for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe of him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news uh, we see here uh, that In order for anyone to believe the gospel, the gospel must first be preached to them. How else will they believe what they have never heard, as Paul says? So if we are to teach or to share the gospel, we must first understand ourselves what the gospel is. In our series through Mark, Pastor Blair put together these five easy-to-remember points to help explain the gospel. So as we begin explaining the gospel, first we affirm and believe that God is holy. Uh, he is set apart in his perfection. He is whole, righteous, without sin. Uh, nothing can be compared to him. He is like anything or anyone that has ever been created because he is not created. He has always existed and is in need of nothing. He is everything that is right right and good. He is what perfect morality looks like. Uh, Next in explaining, we come across the bad news. The bad news is that sin separates us. Uh, Humanity, the most special part of all of God's creation, has rebelled against him. Uh, We have chosen to worship and serve the created things rather than the creator, as Romans 1 says. We have exalted ourselves. And as we learn, God is holy without sin, so he cannot dwell with sin. Uh, He is, in fact, preparing even now to judge sin with his eternal wrath. This is not good news. Uh, But next we come across what is the good news, and that is Christ in my place. Uh, Christ, who is fully God, fully man, came to earth, lived a perfect life, which allowed us the legal right to his righteousness. He died in our place, taking upon himself the wrath of God that was owed to us for our sin. And then, finally, he rose again, confirming that he, in fact, is God. And when we hear this truth, when we hear the beauty of what Christ has done, there is only one appropriate response, and that is to repent and believe to turn away from a life of sin and to believe in Christ. And I'd say even now, if this is the first time you've heard the message of the gospel, or maybe this is the first time that the Spirit has convicted you of sin and your need for a Savior, uh, even now, the call for you is to repent, to turn from your sin, and to believe in Christ. And when you do, when we are saved by Christ, we are given newness of life. The heart of stone that hated God is replaced by a heart of flesh that loves him. Uh, We are given a new set of desires. This message, this message of the gospel, this is what the world needs. Uh, There is no social program and no government that has ever saved anyone. It is the gospel alone that saves. And This is not just for unbelievers, uh, this is for believers as well. The gospel is something we need to remember and savor every single day. It's the pinnacle of human history. There's nothing more significant or more deserving of our attention than this period. This is everything. The longer that we live as believers, the more we realize how significant and beautiful the gospel is. So this is the first area that disciple-makers must teach in is the gospel. And the second area that disciple-makers must instruct in is who God is or his character. Uh, We see this in verse 19. Jesus shows us as he's giving instruction to baptize, he's teaching. He's teaching about who God is. So what does he say in uh, verse 19? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the beautiful and mysterious doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, The Trinity most simply explained, I found, is that there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. Uh, Each member is fully God, not just a part of God that when combined makes one full God. Uh, Nor does he exist in modes, switching between the members as needed, Uh, yet he is perfectly united as one God in essence. There's a lot of mystery behind this doctrine, and we may never fully understand how to reconcile these truths. But if you're interested in learning more, I have just a few quick resources to give you in helping you understand better uh, the Trinity. So the first is a blog uh, called challies.com. He has a quiz on the Trinity. And so if you would go on there, and you'll take the quiz, and it will let you know how well you actually understand this doctrine. And then if you're interested in learning more, I would recommend a book by Roland Cole called The Triune God that gives you information on each member of the Trinity and how they are united. But There's so much more to understand about who God is than just the Trinity even. We could pick any attribute of God, whether the love of God or the wrath of God or the righteousness of God or even the simplicity of God. and We could spend a lifetime studying that one attribute, and still never fully grasp all that there is to it. But the more that we search, the more that we seek to understand, the more that we will love and be amazed by our Creator. So I would encourage you, even this week, to pick an attribute of God and to study it. And if you can't think of an attribute of God, then I would recommend one more book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, which is a great resource in understanding some of the characteristics of God. So to recap, first, disciple-makers teach on the gospel. Second, who God is. And last, disciple-makers teach to obey. This is clear in the beginning of verse 20, where Jesus talks about teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This teaching to observe all that I have commanded you comes in two forms, both in teaching and in modeling. This is what Paul is writing about in the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves of much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. A passage here in Titus, uh, we see that men and women who are older in the faith are to teach and to model to the younger believers how to obey the Lord. Uh, This approach shows believers the great importance of obeying and the posture that we ought to take in it. When we obey out of love for the Lord and not obligation, it encourages the same joyful obedience in those around us in order to be this kind of disciple maker will require a lot of time in God's word and in prayer so that you can yourself grow to be a model of obedience to those around you. And this mission, this mission of making disciples, this is our mission, church. This mission is for believers. It's for the church. When you walked in here this morning, you walked by our mission statement on the wall Uh, The reason that Redemption Bible Church exists is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. More than likely, this morning, you are a follower of Christ because someone else was obedient to the calling of Jesus to make disciples. This is why we value small groups here so much, because we want to be a part, not because we want to be a part of some social club, uh, because we are committed to making disciples. We want to see to it that our brothers and sisters look more like Christ every single day. Uh, We do this every Sunday morning when we gather together as we sit under the preaching of the word, as we have baptisms, as we sing theological truths, we are being discipled as a church. This is our mission wherever we go. Uh, Here's a simple definition of discipleship. Discipleship is intentionally investing in another for their spiritual growth. I'll say it again discipleship is intentionally investing in another for their spiritual growth uh, discipleship isn't what you call a one-trick pony uh, it comes in many shapes and forms uh, you can make disciples wherever you are uh, do this at home make disciples of your children teach them to love and obey the lord you do this at work, make disciples of your coworkers. share the good news of salvation that is in Christ. You can do this in your neighborhood, make disciples of your neighbors, have them over for dinner and model a joyful, obedient life. Right, do this with the body of Christ, make disciples of one another. Uh, let us share the things that we have learned about God with one another and spur one another on to love and good works. Uh, do this even overseas. Make disciples of other nations. Uh, more than likely, some of us here will be called to go and share the gospel in another country where they have never heard the good news of Christ. This is our mission wherever we go. It doesn't turn on and off. This is not an optional mission either. To say no is to disobey. But if we love the Lord and if we love people, then we should love this mission of carrying out discipleship. Now, This is an extensive task, and it might seem overwhelming at times, but Christ provides us with hope in the next verse. Our hope rests in the promise of Christ. The end of verse 20, Jesus says, Behold. This word is meant to cause the listener or the reader to slow down and to pay attention. When we see the word behold in the Bible, we know that something significant is going to follow. Christ does this here with his disciples who are probably overwhelmed at this point. Uh, Look back at the scope of the commands in the last two verses and keep in mind that this is all being shared for the first time with just the 11 apostles. Christ says they are to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Does Jesus realize that there are only 11 apostles now, even less than there were just a few days earlier? Does he realize how many commands are in Scripture? Does he realize how big the earth is and how many people are in it? Of course he does. He is the one who created all things and is in control of all things. So Christ says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a glorious promise. Here's our second point. As we go about making disciples, we should find comfort in Christ's nearness. Find comfort in Christ's nearness. We can make disciples without discouragement or despair because Christ is with us always. We can make disciples with joy and with courage because the results are in His hands. The promise is tied to the calling. The promise is for those who make disciples. Christ says, make disciples and I will be with you. They are inseparable. We imitate this promise in marriage. Uh, Who here made a vow to their spouse on their wedding day that started something like this? I take you, fill in the blank, to have and to hold from this day forward. Or maybe it finished something like this, so long as we both shall live. This is similar to what Christ is promising. The promise to our spouse isn't that we will never be more than three feet away from them at any given moment. The promise is that we will be faithful. When you need me, I will be there. When it seems like everything is working against you, I'm on your side. I will be with you. This is what Christ is promising. When we are about the mission of making disciples, he is with us. This should be a source of immense comfort. Is it comforting to you, though? Does knowing this bring about comfort or anxiety? For some, this might bring about a sense of dread. Maybe you hear this promise and think of a nitpicking supervisor always looking over your shoulder for you to make a mistake. Or maybe you think of a parent ready to scold you when you fail. But friend, I will assure you this morning, this is not the intention of Christ's promise. Rather, this is the work of the law, and the life of unbelievers. For those who have not believed in the good news of Christ, the law serves to condemn them when they fail to be perfect. But this is not the case with the Lord's beloved, with his bride. For us, Christ's presence means the pressure is not on us. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We will fall short of perfect obedience every single day. However, Christ is the one making disciples. We get the privilege to be used by him, but he is the one who changes hearts and minds. He is actively seeing to it that his mission will succeed through us. This is where Christ is working. This is the means he is using. And don't you want to be where he is? Don't you want to be used for, don't you want to be for what he is for? So why do we worry? Why do we continue to put off obeying? Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is what the promise of Christ is getting at. The Lord is on my side. He gave the mission. He is in control. And he is with me. So don't let fear or excuses keep you from the mission. Let the comfort of Christ's promise compel us to make disciples actively remembering that The mission isn't result-driven, it's worship-driven. Did you hear that? The mission isn't result-driven, it's worship-driven. John Piper puts it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we proclaim the gospel, the reason we teach children to love the Lord, the reason we gather for small groups during the week and for church on Sunday mornings is because Christ deserves to be worshiped. Christ is building his church. He is making disciples and he's using us because he is worthy of worship. So now that we know what the promise is, we need to look at the claim of Christ that gives some weight to it. Look back at verse 18 with me. In verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here we see Christ's claim that he is the one who possesses complete authority. Here's our final point this morning. Followers of Christ ought to take confidence in Christ's authority. Take confidence in Christ's authority. Christ's claim here is outstanding. Have you ever thought about the implications of that claim? That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. It's outstanding. Really quick to help us understand better, let's do some math. I know that tomorrow is June, so we're coming up on summertime, but I promise this will be helpful. And kids, you can help your parents because this might be a tricky one for them. So let's look at authority as if it were a pie, right? We have a pie representing authority, and it's divided into pieces, right? But Jesus has all of the pie. So if Jesus has all of the pie, then how much pie is left for anyone else? None. Right. Somebody gets it. None. There is no authority left for anyone else. And this is a wonderful truth. That Christ, the only righteous person, the perfect creator of everything, has authority over everything. This isn't to say that we don't have earthly authorities. We all have some sort of earthly authority to submit ourselves to, whether parents or bosses or the government. This does not undermine the authority of Christ, however. Rather, these authorities are put in place by him. Every earthly authority is subservient to Christ and his authority. He establishes them and we submit to them so long as they don't cause us to sin against God. This promise or this claim that Christ has all authority would have been especially encouraging to the eleven. As they began the mission, only being just a few of them, they could have confidence that the Lord would use them. And didn't he use them? Look at us today. What started with a mission given to 11 men has compounded over centuries. Christ's authority has allowed the mission of making disciples to succeed throughout the world. He is bringing about success by using his people to make disciples of every nation. I'm just shy of being 22 years old. Next month, I turn 22. So I'm a new adult, some would say. And I find myself often stumbling upon new situations that I'm actually finding out are just regular, common adult experiences. Uh, for instance, last week, I found myself in need of a new phone. And so I did what anyone my age would do. I started searching online for the best deal for a new phone. Very, Fairly quickly, I found the phone that I wanted at at t so I ordered it online, and I went that same day to pick it up in the store. Easy enough, right? Wrong, not that easy. So somehow, my online order created an issue that the woman helping me had, quote, never seen before, which is always what you wanna hear. So I'll spare you the details, but three hours later, after the store had been closed for an hour already, At this point, Sarah is asleep in the car, and I have been on the phone with about seven different support technicians. And then, at this point, the manager made one last attempt to fix the issue by calling the store owner. After that call with the store owner, only a few minutes later, I was on my way out the front doors with my new phone. See, the problem couldn't be solved by the saleswoman, the support technicians, or even the manager. At each stage of the process, The problem was a lack of authority. Once we got on the phone with the store owner, we had reached the individual with the highest authority in the phone buying world. It took someone with greater authority to get me my new phone. Authority here was vital to completing the mission. This is true for us as well. The claim is what gives weight to Christ's promise to be with us. If I were to tell you to move to China and to plant a church, but that I would be with you. That promise would only serve as a very small comfort to the overwhelming fear that you would probably feel. Christ's promise, however, bears so much more weight because he has all authority. We can be assured that the mission Christ has given his church will succeed because he is in control of every government, every corporation, every opposing worldview. He is in control of every left turn you make in your car, of every leaf that falls to the ground, of every breath that has ever been breathed. He is in control over life and death. He is sovereign. He isn't merely responding to the things going on around us. He is in control. So often we live our lives as if we are the ones controlling everything, or at least most things, right? Maybe God is in control of the big things going on, but not the everyday details. We would never say it, and we might not even know that we believe it, but it's how we live. And what a terrible way for us to live. Why would we ever want to be in control instead of God? His ways are perfect. Our ways are pitiful at best. When you see an opportunity to share the gospel, you must remember that Christ is in control. When you don't know what to say, Count on Christ's authority. He will give you the words to say. Even when you feel as if your explanation was inefficient, you can find assurance that knowing that even in salvation, Christ is in control. Christ saves sinners. When you are helping a brother or sister to understand truth from Scripture, uh, be confident that Christ will use it for sanctification. Success isn't found in our ability to convince someone to claim Christ or in making sure that our children all grow up to be TV preachers. We succeed simply through our obedience. Christ's authority should be a source of great confidence as we seek to make disciples. Discipleship isn't a request, it's a command. Can we say with the psalmist, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love? Is that true? Do you love the commandments of the Lord this morning? Do you believe that he is working all things for his glory and for our good? Do you want to be used by God to make more worshipers? Let's be disciples who make disciples. Wherever you have influence, that is your mission field. This is how we give God glory, by joyfully obeying what he has called us to. Christ has provided everything we need in order to know that the mission will succeed. Disciples will be made because Christ is with us. Now the mission doesn't end for us this side of glory. So let's work hard with great joy, knowing that the mission will succeed because Christ has promised to be with us always. Would you pray with me?